Hey, hi, hello, welcome to episode 40. That's right, the big 4-0 of Trail Society brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. I'm Hillary Allen. And everyone remembered their names once again today. <laughs> I really um, wanted to say a joke about 40, but I just, I couldn't think of a good one, so. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm not 40. <laughs> yeah, not me. Um, I can't believe 40, that feels, I feel like 50 will feel like a big one too, but yeah. These uh these round these round solid digits feel pretty darn good. Um, mm-hmm. Keely, we are inching closer to Black Canyon. When this comes out, it'll be about two ish plus weeks, I guess. Two ish additional <clears throat> smidge, three weeks to Black Canyon. How are you feeling in like ramping up your training? And I'm I guess I'm also kind of wondering like what are the big things that you're working on slash trying to be mindful of as you prepare for your like next big race. Mm. Yeah, you know, the training block has been pretty awesome, but also pretty brutal. Like I'd say I had um post Joshua Tree, I had a nice like down week induced by sickness, but then I had a three-week pretty intense build. And then last week I had like a quote unquote down week, which ends up not really feeling like a down week when you're kind of in a build. It's like 80 miles and a lot of workouts. <clears throat> but it's not a hundred miles. Um, and then I have another really big this week, big week this week. So I just actually did my probably shortest run of the week today. Um, and I cut it shorter than I was even supposed to be. Cause I was just pooped and I'm like, you know what? I have a huge week. Like this is fine. <laughs> I had a huge workout yesterday. Um, but I think that's a good feeling to have is like knowing you're doing like a lot of work. Um, but I would say right now I'm just trying to stay like center in my mind because like fitness is going to be there. It's a hundred K like it's a lot of mental like stamina, not as much physical. Like obviously it takes a lot of physical endurance, but a lot of it is mental. And so I've just been trying to stay sane, which is a lot easier said than done with like all the stuff I'm trying to juggle. Um, but yeah, I'm getting there. I definitely have had a lot of like just chill moments and like work on fueling and stop thinking about the run or stop thinking about this. And so I'm really just trying to focus on like the little things I can control right now. Um, knowing that like the race will be so fun. It'll just be an experience to like really test the fitness and have your first race back. Um, but just trying to not like get myself in the weeds. Cause I feel like when you start running a ton of miles and you're like kind of hungry all the time, kind of tired all the time, it's easy to just like go down wormholes of like, training or eating well and all these things. And it's just, it's not productive. So I'm just trying to keep myself like centered. Yeah. And you'll, you'll, you've got a couple more weeks yet before you start to question everything you've done or not done. So uh, that, that, that I don't normally have that problem. Lucky. lucky. (laughs) I just feel like your fitness is your fitness. It's more just like, I get, I feel like I just get anxious for the race because I'm like, I just want to go. Yeah. I like the ambivalent. I feel like I'm ready, really ready to race when I'm just kind of like ambivalent about racing mm-hmm. where it's like, I'm not excited and I'm not nervous. It's just like, I just want like, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Like, which feels really lackluster, but I feel like when I'm, when I'm in that zone, that's like, that's a good zone for me mm-hmm. to get to a yeah. start line in. Totally. I was talking to Dylan about this last week. He was like, were you just like so nervous for Western States last year? And I'm like, honestly, I was so stoked to just start running. Cause that's like the <laughs> only thing I wanted to do. <laughs> Yeah. That was the easy part. (laughs) Yeah. You're like all the hard work's already done. Hillary, um, (laughs) you just recently released your race calendar publicly, which, you know, race calendars change sometimes, but what, 
I, but I kind of love it. I love, you know, we're seeing announcements of new sponsors. We're seeing announcements of race calendars. And I kind of love getting to see like the race calendar layout from, from people in our sport, just because you're like, oh, heck yeah. Like something to get really <laughs> excited about. So what's on your 2023 race calendar officially? Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I, I figured might as well just like throw it out there to the universe. Um, it's like, yeah, things change. You never know, you know, nothing's guaranteed, but I think it's fun to have goals to work towards and see, also, it's kind of see, really cool to see who else is going to be at the same events as you um, instead of just like wondering <laughs> who's going to be out there. Uh, so the first race, well, actually, um, I do like, obviously, we know this, like I, I'm pretty into bikes as well. But um, so I'm doing like a mix of things. But actually, my first um, race, it was inspired by the Brooks Athlete Summit um, going down to Mid-South in Silver City, Oklahoma to do a 50K uh, run and then a hundred mile bike ride the next day. <laughs> so Whoa. I think there's going to be some Brooks athletes down there. I'm hoping Sarah Cummings is going to do a, like a run ride combination. Claire Nichols, she's um, one of the athlete managers at Brooks and she did the double last year. So she's going to do it again this year. Um, yeah. So it's cool to try to, there's a lot of um, Brooks trail runners who do the the cycling and, and running things. So um, trying to like, I don't know, get to get some people out there to like kick off the season. And then my first big one is Canyons 100 miles. So doing the inaugural 100 mile races, you know, with Cape Town and now this one. <laughs> yeah. Just making sure that they're fine for everyone yeah, else. Just checking it out. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, some other gravel bike races, but the main running ones are um, Lavaredo, the 120K. I have a long history with Cortina, but I've never gotten to do the, the long race there. So I'm so really hard. excited. Yeah. And then, um, I think, yeah, I was there Keely when you did it. And obviously I did the 50 K. Um, I remember like seeing you at the, like this really, this amazing, like restaurant and pizzeria place. And you're like, I don't want to run long again. And now here you are like crushing it for, for Western state. Mm, it's very different. <laughs> well, no, I know, but I was, it's was really funny to hear you. But yeah, I, like, feel like I don't want to do it at its core. <laughs> oh yeah the goldfish memory of all time oh, yeah. and, and sure, that yeah. Hillary is like setting you up for UTMB presumably yeah exactly um did you get into UT UTMB no so I didn't get into the lottery um so well I, I got the lottery but I didn't get selected so we'll see mm -hmm. if it yeah I mean going out like basically doing the raceway in um well top 10 also, at canyons gets gets it because it's the continental oh, championship so it's not top the, three the 100 there, so. mile okay 100 mile yeah, yeah I didn't yeah. get into UTMB either I also applied just for fun because I was nice. like this is my last summer before med school <laughs> might as well but might yeah well. I mean I think, and who knows like what they're going to do for like adding in those allotted entries based on your interest score. So like we both could be getting invitations regardless mm -hmm. if we actually get a race entry in. Oh, um, but I also just like wanted to kind of do these races at this time of year. And it was just kind of a bonus that it was all like yeah. brought to by UTMB. So um, yeah. And then some gravel bike races in there too. Another race that I'm really excited about is this stage race out East um, in New Hampshire. And it happens well, part to be it's part of the 50k national championship. Yeah, the last day is the USATF um 50k champ. So I'm gonna be super psyched uh for all the fresh legs that are gonna be out there on the last day of my stage race. <laughs> <laughs> That's so yeah. cool. I yeah. love it. I how long is the stage race? 75 miles over three days. Oh wow. That's a yeah. lot. Like 20, 20 something, 20 something, and then the 50k. Well, that's awesome. That's like yeah. a great little training block. Yeah. And it'd be cool. You camp along the way. 
Oh, sick. That'd be super cool. Is it like a trans, awesome. trans Rockies esque? Like they put your yep. camp up for you or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, fun. Like that. Yeah. And nice. I love those kinds of things. I've done it. Yeah. I've done so Trans fun. Rockies and then I've also done it in the style of um, gravel biking with the camps in between. It's super fun. Oh, fun. So, yeah. What's the race called? Ragged 75 and 50K. Ragged. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, East Coast listeners, ragged. That's where we're going to find Hillary this summer. <laughs> Early August, just sweating it out over there on, on the beast coast. Perfect, perfect UTMB <laughs> prep, just yeah. sweating it out for three days. That's what I thought. <laughs> That's awesome. I finally figured my shit out. I um <laughs> I did not initially get into Cascade Crest. I was drawn 347th out of 375 on the wait list. So uh way, way down there. So it's <laughs> a it's a it's a fair lottery, let's put it that way. But friend of the pod really good friend of mine, Devin Yanko is good friends with the race director. And she knew that I would never ask to get led into the race because that to me is like, I don't know. I like these race directors want competitive races. I really want to do cascade crest, but I didn't feel good going to the race director to ask about it. Mm-hmm. And I got this text from Devin Yanko as I'm in Ikea on Saturday and she goes, you'll never guess what I did. And I'll be like, I was like, watch well, I have a surprise for you. And I was like, Devin, you have to tell me. And she's like, uh, you're in Cascade Crest if you want to be. And I was like, cool. I'm just crying in Ikea now. This is great. So I am officially doing Madeira. I believe at the end of April, I'm back to Madeira for round two, um, doing Cascade Crest in July doing, and then wild Struble, which is a UTMB event in the middle of September to get my UTMB qualifier for 2024 is the plan. Um, so Cool. How's, your, how's your training been? You've been doing some workouts finally. I did. I did my first, I did like my first two workouts this past week and they're just baby <laughs> workouts. And I Does wasn't, good? I, oh, they're so weird. Cause I was like, am I out of shape or is this just what running hard feels like? And it turns <laughs> out it's just kind of what running hard feels like, um, that the workouts themselves actually went pretty darn well. Um, nice. it snowed on me on Saturday during it. And I think I texted my coach, who's also Hillary's coach. And I said, I think I really want to do Madeira. What do you think? And he said, well, you you can't, there's no space to have setbacks. And I said, okay, well, can I just be done with setbacks? And he said, well, it's not <laughs> up to me. And I said, cool, I'm done with setbacks. I'm not doing them anymore. I don't want them anymore. Um, I'll revisit them next year. Like I'm good with like, with removing setbacks from the horizon for a little while. And it's obviously, I have no control over it completely. Like something could happen between now and Madeira that does not put me on that start line, but that is the the goal. Um, as long as training continues to progress, like it is like to get back to Madeira for the 115 kilometer race across the Island, um, in April. So we'll have a busy spring of racing. I think we'll actually have some upcoming episodes that will probably feature black Canyon recap stuff. And then Madeira and Canyons recap stuff, um, at the end of April into early May. So Lots of racing ahead. The 2023 season is officially upon us. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So before we dive into some news, we're kind of light on news, definitely light on results this this week. We've got a really great interview for you coming up. So before we do that, though, we've got to give a big shout out to our sponsors making this happen, um, namely Athletic Greens. They've been with us for... I don't know. I feel like we're almost to our one year anniversary um, at this point with them. They've they've been making our lives easier and helping us bring you this podcast twice a month. I was going to say week after week, which is not true. 
<laughs> but it sometimes feels like it. Um, but, and to make your life easier, you can also get your own set box baggies, travel packs to go of athletic greens by going to athleticgreens.com slash trail society with your first purchase. You can also get a one year free supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. Again, with your first purchase over at athleticgreens.com slash trail society to upgrade your nutrient intake today. <laughs> we did it. I did it. I hope that this gets left in every single time on to the news. Um, we're kind of light on the announcements of sponsor stuff. This will come out next week. So maybe that will, maybe more news will be coming out towards the end of the month. But right now we do know as of today that Allie Mack has left on, which I think surprised all of us. Um, we're very curious as to where she is landing. Um, she's had an amazing season. And so hopefully that means that she has got a great offer somewhere and really, really happy to see where that is. And then other big one that I think came out today was that Judith Wider, um, Solomon athlete, orienteering champion, mom of two, um, went to, has left Solomon and is now at Hoka. So um, interesting moves happening all over the place, but those were kind of the big ones on our horizon uh, this week anyway. And I'm sure by the time this comes out, there'll be more news that we'll be behind covering. So, um, you keep us posted, you, you athletes out there that are signing contracts and <laughs> being really good about keeping everything on the DL Bravo to you. Um, we've got some big news though, on our own, on our own home front, launching lots of new things. The first of which is we have officially launched trail society, social media, because let's face it, we're all, we're all medium good at our own social media and all really bad at promoting our, our trail society, social media. So as you know, that we had, we had big call outs on the show to help find some help for, um, social media management and growing our brand here. And you all delivered, we've hired someone. We are so excited. Hilly, can you fill us in a little bit? Where can people go to find, to find us on social media? Yeah. So thanks to everyone for applying and yeah, it was so cool to see kind of the responses and just the excitement for it. Um, so it feels like there's a lot of people in our team, even though we're just working with one person. Um, and yeah, can I, Gigi, we're working with her. Um, she's this uber talented, super fun, um, person who's excited about trail society and running herself. She's an avid listener. Um, and yeah, so basically we're starting our own, you're going to see more launching of, of the social media. We're going to prompt you on our own social medias in case you need to figure out where to go. Um, and the Instagram handle is trail.society. Um, and that's where you can find all of our new stuff. We're going to kind of just be posting everything about episodes there. Um, but we'll kind of direct you um, like where to go and where you can kind of give us a follow. If you want to drop into our DMs, that's where you can do it. Of course, you can, you can still DM us individually, but that is a place where you guys can kind of drop all your ideas or requests for episodes or questions. Um, we're really excited. And yeah, I think it's going to be the beginning of growing something even bigger. So yeah, we're very excited. Even about bigger it. and better. And we'll <laughs> link to all of that in the show notes here because who can remember anything? Well, it's easy Fleshman. to remember. So I expect you to remember and go follow it right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, like stop, actually pause <laughs> right, the podcast right, right now. Are you listening? Super easy. <laughs> like, follow, subscribe. We believe in you. Um, <laughs> speaking of big launches and other news, um, 
we have big news on the free trail front as well. Free trail experts has officially launched. This has been in the making for forever. This is why Keely is so incredibly tired. I'm pretty sure she's juggling a lot. Um, it's a new piece of the puzzle. It's really, really cool. Keely, our Keely is the head coach, the head of the performance team there. She's been working tirelessly behind the scenes. Um, and I'm wondering, Keely, if you can just tell the audience a little bit about what Free Trail Experts is, if they're interested in learning more. Yeah, so Free Trail Experts is a new avenue in the Free Trail family. So part of the Free Trail Pro membership and also just part of Free Trail in general that basically brings a bunch of experts into one area. We define experts as people who are specialists in their different fields that are all related to performance around running. So we have everyone from performance coaches who have worked at division one schools or have backgrounds in mental health to kind of go alongside their coaching um, to PTs who specialize in injury prevention and return into running or trail running strength. And we also brought on a registered dietitian who's no stranger to the podcast. We talk about her a lot, Dr. Kelly Pritchett, who has a background in low energy availability and disordered eating and basically implementing good fueling after injury for women and men. And then we also brought on another nutritionist who we'll bring onto the pod eventually too, who is named Will and he's out of Portland and he has a holistic background in medicine. And so he um, does a lot with holistic nutrition and tries to really change like the lifestyle and the nutrition habits. And so basically we wanted to create this one-stop shop for all of the free trail pro members, as well as just people outside the free trail family to be able to not only find a running coach who is going to be able to, you know, train them to their specific needs for, for different races or different performance goals, but they also then will be able to tackle that little niggle that flares up or get ahead of that niggle by implementing a strength training routine with one of our experts or really dial in their nutrition, because obviously that's all of that's super, super important to being really good at not only your sport, but also life. And then also to, to have that mental health lens in there as well, um, because we can't deny that that's also really important. So it was kind of like this one-stop shop to basically reach your potential. And that's kind of what we launched so that people have access to all these wonderful experts. Yeah. Vet, like vetted professionals. And the other piece of that puzzle too, I think is that not only can you like work with a coach pretty traditionally, but you can also kind of have these one-time consults, either one-time consult coaching for races where they can create kind of like a, a static plan for you for an event. Um, and then follow up on that with you. And then, um, like the one, like kind of a one-time consult with a nutritionist or a dietitian. So, so helpful one-time consult for strength stuff. Like all these things I think can really fit into an athlete's quiver when it comes to like rounding out their performance needs. So I'm very excited about it. Um, I'm sure the response has been overwhelming and that's why Keely is like, we have to stay on time guys. I've got <laughs> stuff to do too many runs to go on as well. Um, the last bit of news that I have on my end was the Boston marathon field was announced. And while all the usual suspects will be on that start line, um, we have to give extra huge shout outs because the start line will also include two of our trail badasses two of our trail <laughs> darlings um danny moreno will be making her marathon debut at boston like heck yes and then um ninke brinkman uh mm. the like f phenom um on both the road and the trail will also be um in that elite field and to me like boston of all the ma majors feels like the one most suited to trail runners just because it is like known for being a hard course the weather can be kind of extreme etc um, so when I saw the elite list come out, I was like, Ooh, like ears and eyes perked up for that one. Really excited to see them all race this spring. Yeah. Des Linden, your teammate will also be yeah. back in Boston too, which is super, super cool. 
yeah, it's cool to follow along with her story. I love her honesty with her build. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she and her and Carrie Goucher just la- launched a podcast called yeah. Nobody Nobody Asked Us. Nobody Is that what it's asked called? us. Yeah. I love it. I think that's brilliant. What a yeah. what a couple like just spitfires on the mic. Um, <laughs> so go check that one out too. But before we dive into our main meat and potatoes interview for today, we have to give a shout out to the other main sponsor behind the scenes here, and that is the feed. We love the feed. It's that one-stop shop for all of your nutritional needs, not just race day nutrition, but those things that go with your kind of pre, pre-training, post-training, your coffee needs, your recovery tools, all in one spot. And so instead of a one-time $15 credit, like we had this past year, you have a $15 credit once a quarter. So $60 over the course of the year. And you can utilize that at thefeed.com slash trail society. And we've got something really cool coming out with them (laughs) soon. I don't know how much we can say, but we've seen the mock-ups for it and it is beautiful. Can we say anything more than that? Does anyone know? I think we should just say like, think about our pink and blue, beautiful logo and think about that on something related to endurance exercise and how cool it will look. (laughs) Yeah. And then you'll have to take pictures of it. It'll be amazing. So once, once that launches, we'll, uh, we'll tell you more about it here. But again, if you want that $15, um, credit, that's going to be at the feed.com slash trail society. And that should be good to be used once a quarter for, so $60 over the course of the year, but meat and potatoes time, you guys. Lauren Fleshman. I'm pretty sure I had a Lauren Fleshman poster on my wall. She was one of those athletes who was a vocal advocate for the things she believed in. And some, someone that I like gravitated towards very early, um, you know, like in my college career, for example, while she was a professional athlete, we sat down with her because she had a book just come out. You've probably seen her name on some other podcasts recently. She is in full on book tour mode. Um, that book has been deemed kind of part memoir, part manifesto. It's called good for a girl, a woman running in a man's world. Um, if you don't know Lauren, Lauren is one of the most decorated American distance runners of all time. Honestly, probably one of the best distance runners to not make an Olympic team due to, due to injury, kind of bad timing scenarios, but she was a five-time NCAA champion and a two-time national champion as a professional. She's a mom, an activist. She's the brand stra- brand strategy advisor for Wazelle, which is a women's running company here in Seattle, where I am. I'm the co-founder of Picky Bar, and the list can go on and on and on from there. She's incredible. And so I think we'll stop talking, or at least I'll stop talking, and let you listen to the interview we recorded with the one and only Lauren Fleshman. I'm Lauren Fleshman. I'm a former professional track and field and long distance athlete and an elite coach of um, women elite runners uh, at Little Wing Athletics. I'm the author of the new book, Good for a Girl, A Woman Running in a Man's World. We are so happy to have you on the podcast. I think I was texting Keely or someone else and I said, we're interviewing Lauren Fleshman and I'm so excited and so very nervous and we're uh, happy that you could join us today. We're going to talk a little bit about your book, Um, but a little bit about really like your career and little wing and family and all those kind of things that make up the, the many hats that you wear. But to, to start, I think the first thing that I was thinking about was, you know, taking, like taking on this challenge or writing this book, it's a huge process. And I'm wondering what initially kind of kicked off that writing process for you, made you really want to write the book. And then if that evolved over the course of writing the book, because I have to imagine it was fairly cathartic. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, 
I went to a writing workshop in Alameda, California called Writing into Forbidden Territory in 2014. And when I was there, we did all these writing exercises where we would do stream of consciousness writing. It was all like code of silence. Nobody could tell these stories outside that space you couldn't even talk to each other on break about the content of the things that we read aloud like the goal was to create the safest place possible to say the unspoken and um and so people did and i had never been to a writing workshop much less something like this and so hearing the stories of the things that people are afraid to even think much less write down much less read aloud changed changed my life like i i mean i heard I won't say like details of things, but like topics of like adoption and racism and drug addiction and affairs, like the things that are hard to talk about, right? Desire, um, loss, like all that. And I was, and when I thought, wow, what, especially as women, so much of our lives are forbidden territory to talk about so many of the things that shape who we are and what our inner landscape looks like on a daily basis. And I, of course, thought about all the things in running in the sport that I love and in the institutions I went through that are the forbidden things to talk about. And a lot of it is just like basic female bodied experiences and the like insecurities that we face, the the things we we feel about ourselves, say about ourselves to ourselves. Um, And from then on, I thought, wow, how cool would it be if I could like, find a way to be brave enough and have enough experience to feel like I could give a voice to some of those things in the running world. And obviously that was like nine years ago. So it took a while and maybe in retrospect, I'll wish I waited 10 more years, <laughs> but um, I did it. <laughs> I did something. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah. Well, I won't lift it up. You know, what it looks like, but, um, <laughs> and then you said, what was it? Cathartic? Like, yeah. Yes, like it did was, it evolve yeah. too? Like, did your, your why behind putting pen to paper change over the course of like turning many, many words into an actual book. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think that my initial why was like, okay, there's all this evidence that's out there. Like there's every year, there's more newspaper articles about a young phenom that like, that, that then later disappears. There's abuse happening on sports teams. And some article comes out about that every couple months. Um, the gender pay gap, like all these things, like we read about them. And then there's studies about reds and there's studies about female athlete triad and there's studies about menstrual dysfunction. And those are all academic papers and they like barely make it to the consciousness of the public. And so it's like people are working hard in their little areas. And so my original intent was, okay, I know what story can do. If you can like give a pulse to something and give somebody some shoes that they can step into and run with and then show them all the things that's much more likely to affect hearts and minds. Like that's what changes my mind on things is other people's actual stories. So I thought that the intent was I'll give a life and a pulse to this hard work that people are doing to, to like bring this to life for people. And then they'll be motivated to change it. Um, Like there'll be like a, a, something to rally around at a particular time. And all those stories that have already been told, will get like a second wind and all those researchers working around in their corners might get a, have people interested again or something like that was my best case scenario. And I think that what evolved from the book was like, as I was working on it was just how hard it was in reality to tell the stories. Like I was like, Oh shit. Like, damn. Like, and then thinking like, did I invent that? Like, did that really happen? And that's the thing I'm hearing the most from women in my DMS right now is like, I'm so glad that you told those stories because like, 
there was, there's a certain amount of it that I had convinced myself I had made up because none of us spoke it aloud. And now I'm realizing like, no, it was real, you know, it was real and it still affects me. And so I think what the, that, that, that as the book came into being, I was realizing like, oh, this is going to be the case for other people too. Like it's going to be painful to resurrect those things and to put words to them, but then it will also be like affirming that you weren't the only one. It, it'll make, it'll become a conversation starter for some people who will then be able to have talk about it for the first time with someone. And I've also received some really cool messages like that, like a mother and daughter who, who like the daughter's been out of college five years and she and her mom finally had like a real conversation where they both talked about body image and they both talked about eating disorders and like their own journeys with it. They'd never spoken about before. And I think about like how powerful that is just to have like a reason to, to say it. Yeah. I think we've had, we've, we've experienced some of that over the past. We've been in existence for like a little over a year now. And I think we've had several episodes that have really hit home for folks because so much of the, the female bodied experience is like in the shadows is secrecy is taboo. And I just think that, yeah, giving people a voice or of not that not feeling alone is so critical, like mission, mission critical for, for many of us. I think the book is going to be a major vehicle for that, for folks. I hope so. I think about like me too. And that's just such a great example of like, I bet like nobody expected there would be millions of stories, right? Like men were probably just like, what the, this <laughs> happens to you. This happened like, Oh, every one of my female friends has a story. Oh shit. Oh, I have done things. Oh, I'm the other problem. People. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. But it's, those are those necessary reckonings. Like I'm not, I'm not of the mind that we need to like do public burnings of everybody who's ever done anything wrong. Like that's never been my approach. It's like, yeah, there's some really bad actors that need to be held accountable, but for the most part, it's the water we're in. We have to raise consciousness. Then we have to just be, we have to feel safe enough admitting we screwed up and not being defensive, which keeps us from learning. And like, we're all culpable in some way in the environments that we're in. Right. So I think just like normalizing that and that open-mindedness and the, the like ability to change and be human is really important. Uh, takeaway from this book that I hope I hope people see modeled in my character that that I screw up and I have to like I'm part of the problem and so I hope that I hope that that makes it a little easier for some people when they're reading it to to take the similar steps yeah I, I think so I think people can all of a sudden see themselves in in that character of like oh I've I've been to that place and I think a lot of times particularly with the news cycle we think of these like really kind of like overt mistakes that happen, but I think there's a lot of subversive messaging and kind of speaking about growing up and running and body image issues and how we're seeing this in the collegiate system and the professional ranks. But I think some of the, some of, I mean, we're all culpable of the subversive messages, either as a parent, as a coach, as a teammate of the like, oh, you look fit or, oh, you Mm -hmm. look fast. And then there's, that is coupled with this like unrealistic expectation of what in particular young female bodies are supposed to look like. And I'm wondering if you can kind of walk us through that experience for you as a, as a young athlete, as a collegiate athlete, as a professional athlete, and how you saw that manifest and change. Yeah, I think, well, I was a late bloomer. I didn't get boobs till I was 16 and get my period till I was 17. And then 
Um, so most at first I was just watching it happen to other people. And I was as a child of an alcoholic who's like hypervigilant, really looking around for landmines everywhere. Like that was like, that's been my life experience so far is like a little bit of a scared rabbit at all times. Um, and so I was paying attention and I, and to me, the message was puberty is dangerous. Puberty is a career ender. Puberty could take away everything that you're enjoying right now. Um, at any time, there was nobody telling me any positive things about puberty. There was nobody saying, Hey, your woman body is going to be your strongest body. So even if it gives you a little bit of, um, complicated feelings or like a temporary period of time where improvement is harder to come by, like that's totally worth it. You're going to get to the other side, but we don't, you know, we don't say that. So I think like, um, that's one a big thing I want my book to do is just kind of normalize that. And then when I did eventually experience weight gain in a way that affected performance. So at first puberty wasn't negatively affecting my performance, just like I had luck, like I, don't know, I grew in a way that most mimicked my male peers. Um, but then when I did stop winning sophomore year in college for the first time, I was like, Oh shit. Like so much of that body confidence that I was exuding of like, Oh, you know, I don't care that I'm a little softer than my, than these NCAA champions. I don't care that, I, you know, whatever, that I look a little different than they do. I'm not totally shredded, whatever. When you're winning, it's easier to say that. Then you start losing and then you're like, Oh, and it worms its way in. Yeah. And festers, I think Keely, you've got when you, so Keely found running a little bit later, like was a basketball player, came into college, was running with her peers and her peers were like, Oh, you don't, you haven't lost your period. Like, are you training hard enough? And just like that being this normalized narrative, I think is like something that we like personally have been trying to like, really like break down. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really good point, Corinne. And I almost wonder if you have any thoughts around that, Lauren, and in that a lot of women utilize body image or their menstrual cycle or all of these things that aren't actually related to performance. They use those as metrics of success. And so I wonder if like you found yourself, you know, measuring your own success through these things that you thought at the time maybe would mean you were going to be successful, but they actually weren't. And if you saw that in your peers as well, where they're chasing this body ideal, thinking that means performance only to find out later that like, maybe that didn't equal performance. Yeah. Well, it's like, all it ends up being is a distraction from your superpower, right? Like when I was young and I, I was fortunate where I was able to maintain this youthful internal locus of, of power for longer than most of my peers were around me. Um, like, and so I think, but like, once you start looking for external validation that you're, that you look fit instead of like, how did I feel in the workout? Um, how do I, or you look for like evidence in your nutrition log that you ate the right number of calories versus how do I, how am I recovering? How am I feeling? Am I menstruating regularly? We're just like, we kind of get caught up in tracking the wrong things. Um, like, do I look the part? It becomes more important than am I, am I like any good? Like, do I look good? And I, I fell victim to all that same shit. I just fell victim to it a little bit later than a lot of the people around me, which was then extra humbling because like I judged people around me for falling victim to that. Like I saw that it was a problem. I was like, you are too worried about what you weigh. And that is distracting you from your internal competence. I can see how it throws you off when you are two pounds heavier before this race. And I'm never going to do that. And then I went and, and did the same thing. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that narrative is all too common in female runners, right? Like it happened to me, it happened to so many people I've interacted with. Um, and I think we all come to a place of reflection where we're able to see the other side where we're like, oh, actually my performance is actually how I need to track how good I'm getting, not like how many calories I eat or how many pant sizes I go down or whatever it is. And so you have like a point of inflection where you, you know, you were in this disordered state of thinking for a while where you were tracking this body ideal. Did you have a point of inflection where you finally kind of saw the other side and realized that that was not what you should be chasing? I did, but it wasn't linear. Like I wish it was like, Oh, I, I, yeah. I knew myself <laughs> through running and then I lost myself, but then I found myself and then I never lost her again. Yeah. So like the, the book, painfully in some ways shows just how I continue to lose myself. Like I'm, and I'm like two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. Cause that's actually how change happens. And, um, but, but like, yeah, like it's, and it feels so frustrating to have to learn the same lesson multiple times. I think that's why most of the effort needs to be put in on the front end for the next generation of athletes, where when, um, a female athlete learns about, uh, physics and VO2 max and how that relates to body weight and body fat, they are also learning at the same time, the risks in using that number as some sort of gold standard and the limitations for the female body. And like how, when they're learning about race weight, they're learning about how absurd that is for female body people to use that metric because our weight fluctuates day to day, week to week, month to month, and it should. And if it's not fluctuating, that's a problem. So then like then we can kind of call bullshit on a lot of these things that were were sold as like handy objective measurers of success when we're we want to be good so we're like we want those easy things that we think will tell us we're good we want them um but like my high school coach was so awesome and if like he was the reason I was able to get through so much of college without developing an eating disorder because he he would he told me in the same breath yeah, sometimes losing weight can make you faster, right? But, and then he told me, this is what an eating disorder can do. And and like long-term, the most important thing you can do is string together consistent years. And if you develop an eating disorder, you're gonna get injured, you're gonna lose time. And any short-term gain you might've experienced, you're gonna pay for like four times after that. So it's way better to, like you cannot compete with, consistency that's the and so for years I had his voice in my mind when the other messages started creeping in and so his voice lasted as a counter argument for quite a long time but then you get far enough away from it and if you're not hearing counter arguments at the same time like all the time you know it's harder and harder to fight against fight against those forces those coaches are just like a dime a dime a dozen I feel like we need need more of those humans in our lives, the good coaches really stand out. And unfortunately it feels like there's a larger pile of probably not bad coaches and probably not bad intentioned coaches. Mm -hmm. It's more this like disconnect between what they think athletes need and what they actually need. Particularly, I think when we, you were talking about female bodied athletes and I kind of want to dive into to little wing and setting up this, you know, this ideal of like the things that you were missing in your own career in sport, things that you saw were lacking for female athletes, you know, where, where male is so commonly the default for everything. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we don't have to shrink and pink things. And I'm wondering kind of 
what were those things that you thought were specifically missing in like broader professional sport that you could bring to a program like Little Wing to foster, you know, next generation talent? Well, I think the first thing was just like, we cannot look at uh, high performance in this little vacuum. Like you don't stop being a human when you show up at practice and now you're a, an elite athlete and you talk oh, about yeah. everything through the 1%, a 1% lens and optimizing and this and that and this and that. You can't, you can say the same words to 10 different people and they're going to land in 10 different ways, depending on their childhood upbringing, their trauma, their culture, their religious beliefs, like whatever their high school coach said to them, whatever a dude on the bus said to them 15 years ago, like you're throwing seeds into soil that you had no control over before they got there. And so every, you have to view performance or I decided that I needed to view performance through like a much broader lens I needed to be really aware of all the forces at play in female-bodied people and people who identify as women in our culture. And like, they're bringing all of that to practice, whether they're talking about it or not. And so I can't say things like about somebody's, the way someone's body looks because, well, first of all, just, you don't get anything good out of it anyway. There's like, I would like never talk about it because even with the highest level of sport, I was not weighing my athletes. Like I was, like that if high school coaches and college coaches are doing that. I'm just like, what are you even doing? I don't even do this with professionals. Like it makes no sense to do it. Um, and then, but then I guess like the, so I started out with this real passion for, I'm going to make a space that I believe so many of my peers would have thrived in. Like so many that, that left sport or left with a story about themselves that they weren't any good or that they weren't committed enough or whatever that they would have thrived here. And, and what I learned was that, yes, I was, my intuition was right. People can thrive, more people can thrive in an environment like the one I was creating, but I also developed a real humility for like how hard coaching is, like how much work it really is. And that even as well-intentioned as I am, a sentence that I could say could stick with someone in a way that's negative for 10 years. And you, you, because of that power dynamic, like you are in the spotlight, you are learning in public, you are learning with high consequences in other people's lives. And like, and you're generally underpaid and overworked and there are no office hours. And so you, I, it just gave me like, it turned some of my rage against coaches. Like I think like when I first started coaching, I was like, coaches are less the, they're the problem. It's coaches. And then I'm like, they're doing their, like people get into coaching because for the most part, because they're passionate about the sport. They're passionate about helping people reach their dreams. Like they're going in with really big hearts and great intentions and they're not making millions off of this. So it's like, I need you, I want to assume the best. And so I've tried to take that approach of yes, people make bad decisions and bad choices. They screw up. But, um, but I, I try in the book to really point out the structural problems that lead us to act the way we do in those environments so that there's less blame on the individuals. And it also gives us like a a nice out to go, Hey, I was taught this way. That's the environment I grew out in, grew up in. I'll do better now, now that I know. Right. Does it baffle you a little bit? I distinctly remember this moment in which the, I don't remember who reported it, but someone in the media was convinced that Jesse, your husband was the coach for Little Wing. It was like Jesse, Lauren Fleshman's uh-huh. husband is, you mm-hmm. know, the Little Wing coach. I'm just wondering, like, walk us through that. Cause I have to imagine that like there's a little bit of like comedy in there, but I would just be like, society is going down. 
Yeah, this was on letsrun.com. I'm like, this is like, they claim to be, you know, the hub of the sport. And it was, I just remember when they wrote that, I thought, this is what we're up against. It is so difficult to imagine a woman elite coach of a group that you're more likely to assume my husband, who has never raced professional track, never coached, is the coach than me, the person with the years of experience, right? Like that bias was stronger than even I thought it was. I was, I did laugh. I was like, this is so ridiculous. I can't like, is this an April fool's announcement? Yeah, I think that is. And I think that kind of, we can build into, I think a a discussion about uh, equity and and equality from, from that. But I do, I just remember reading that or seeing that and just being like, Oh, okay. These are, (laughs) this is how the deck is stacked. I don't know how we fix it. Um, But I guess before we jump into kind of an equality, equity, female physiology, fighting for rights type of thing. Just kind of like, do you think that in your time with Little Wang um, that you were able to accomplish like what you wanted to with that team as far as like changing that coach athlete narrative, changing professional sport with them? I think I made a mark. You know, I think I'm proud of, I'm proud of what I did and what we did together. It was really a co-creation between me and the athletes and the Lescos who mm-hmm. um, founded the nonprofit of the club and everything and are just incredible resources. And so I do feel really proud of that. I think that what I was reflecting on in after 2021, because that's when I went on my sabbatical and I still haven't come back and I'm not totally sure I will, um, was that I, I never totally figured out how to, how to encourage them to like go big. Like, I think I've, I was so, I got burned so many times as an athlete from putting all my eggs in one basket. And I, I saw very clearly in my career, how much, um, that can backfire on people or you lose track of your whole person and your identity. And as a coach, I was really good at creating a space for the whole person and like a resilience for a, for a poor performance. But I also was afraid to say things like, like go for that, like go for it, like put it all on the line. Like I, because I never figured that out for myself, how to do those two things in any kind of healthy balance. Yeah. And I think something that I I feel like I heard you talk about this is probably in my podcast deep dive of being like, what has been asked and what hasn't been, but someone brought up (laughs) compliance versus coachability and mm-hmm. that to me was really fascinating. And you you mentioned earlier about like you're throwing seeds into soil that's already there, trying to figure out what's going to work. Do you think that some of that of like understanding how to take a big leap is that I have to like, I'm, I'm like reflecting on my own athletics here too, to be being told you're compliant, being told you're coachable because you'll just listen. And instead of listening to your own body, instead of being okay, asking questions like that is so shunned as like a young athlete, as a high school athlete, as a collegiate athlete, as a professional athlete, like as a woman in general has to be a hurdle, right? Like, do you think that that is one of those barriers, particularly for women in sport of like, that goes against what we've been taught for generations? Oh yeah. Well, the good girl, I mean, the good girl is like a huge, hugely important uh, way to have mobility in patriarchy. You, if you if you can't have the power, you have to behave in a way that keeps you adjacent to power. And so coachability is like the way that shows up in sport, but it also shows up in, um, 
in like the corporate world, right? Like there's, I saw some tweet, I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was some uh, person posted, this person put on their resume, like doesn't cause any problems, will, does, you know, goes above and beyond and does what I'm told without creating drama. And there were like a hundred percent chance a man would never write this on yeah. their resume. Right. But like, that's considered a good quality for a woman that <laughs> I'm not dramatic. I won't cause you, I won't make waves. Yeah. Um, and But yeah, that, that separates you from yourself. If you are training yourself to be essentially like a, like a compliant dog that will come when whistled to, it will work until it doesn't, it will work for mobility until there's the time when your body is telling you something different than what they're telling you. And you haven't flexed the muscle of believing that voice, listening to that voice and articulating that you, you have a different idea or a different need because you're afraid of getting in trouble. You're afraid of losing proximity to power. You're afraid, afraid of losing favor. And you also like, just don't even fully trust that voice. You've outsourced it. You've outsourced your wisdom, right? To somebody else. And if you practice that all the time, then you have to retrain yourself to, to listen and trust the voice inside you. Here's to raising difficult daughters. I think that's that's the new the new mantra. I don't have a daughter <laughs> yet, but that's that's going to be the goal. Here's to raising yeah. just really difficult daughters. Because I, I, oh, yeah. I have a little bit of a follow up to that. Um, real quick, I, I yeah. think it's really fascinating because it's like this balance between you know at one side you're able to finally be in tune with your body, right, and you're actually able to listen to yourself, and maybe that means going against your coach. And that might allow you to reach your own potential, but like, how do the athletes then build the confidence they need to like seek that true potential? Because they're not getting that external gratification from the coach, but they are potentially, you know, able to reach their potential because they're not overdoing it and not being a slave to the coach. Um, yeah. And I'm just wondering how, if, if you notice that at all with little win, maybe you didn't see them strive for like this crazy, crazy, scary goal. But I wonder if you noticed any differences in their demeanor with, you know, with success or with pushing themselves where they no longer were strapped down by this narrative of like, I must do this a certain way. I must look a certain way. And therefore maybe they were able to push themselves to new heights, whether that was, you know, mm -hmm. in running or in life. And I wonder if you noticed that at all with, with little wing. I did. And, uh, and to like kind of revisit that previous point, they would dream big and they would come to me and say, I want to break two minutes in the 800 and I want to do these things. The problem was that I had a hard time going, yes, yes, you can go big. You're, you're going to do it because I, in, instead I was already worried about them being devastated if it didn't happen. And so instead of meeting them that way, I would be like, but it's totally okay if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, the athlete also needs to just hear you're their coach. Like they want to hear. Yeah. Like I, I believe you can do that too with no other words. Like I just don't need to add the other words. And that was unresolved stuff in my own self because it did destroy me if it, if the dream didn't come true because I didn't have the tools during my career for most of my career. Right. So that's, and that's what all of adults do as parents, as coaches, like we act out our unresolved shit on the people who are interesting us and and we have to continue with the responsibility of working out our stuff to like to kind of stop that cycle or minimize it we're going to screw up it's fine we're not perfect yeah that's the not the not perfect piece i think is incredibly important so i want to talk a little bit about how like 
it's this, this to me, like I've been thinking about this for like, I don't know, probably a decade now was that we fought to be equals with male peers for forever and ever and ever. Right. We fought to be equals. And then we were like, because we fought to be equals, we erased all the things that make us different and unique because we are biologically complex. And I'm wondering how you feel personally and how, how the sport itself too has like run up against this now of like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Like we, we need equity. Yeah. But at the same time, like have to identify like where those differences actually lay. Yeah. Well, it's super, super tricky. And I think that there's really good reasons why we minimized our differences for a long time. It was, if difference has been the tool of the oppressor, right? So Mm -hmm. if you, if you point out a difference, then that is used as evidence for your further exclusion and oppression. And that's happened with race, ability, sex, gender, everything for a really long time. So we have tons of evidence that if you point out a difference, it will be used against you. And the, the big, like massive gains of the 70s with the feminist liberal move, liberal feminist movement that resulted in Title IX and resulted in us getting our own credit cards, like these like basic yeah. things that I cannot believe were not in place um, for so long. We, those were gained through inequality. We're the same, like beating the drum of like, we are just like you, like emphasizing our sameness as a way to prove our humanity so that the people in power who at that point were even more predominantly male, it was like probably 99% of senators that they would then go, okay, well, you are, you are basically me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's harder to keep you down when you make that argument. And, um, and when you listen to a lot of the like inspirational messages of that time, even like in civil rights movement, there's like a, like a, like words like colorblind and Mm -hmm. just like stop seeing race and stop seeing gender and, and let's all just be the same. And, but then after those created gains and access and stuff like that, and like eliminated some legal barriers, it's been, there's been enough time now where we're seeing like a wave towards something else like that you're talking about with equity to truly have an equal chance to thrive, not just an equal chance to participate. Um, we have to look at those differences, acknowledge the differences, respect those differences. Um, you know, like Alison Desir is like, I want you to see my blackness. I want you to see that I am a black woman. Like if you aren't seeing that, you can't create a safe space for me. You can't create a, like a truly diverse, inclusive space. And so that's, that's essentially the argument for this book is that we have to see those differences. We have to acknowledge them. We have to respect them. We have to decide that a different path is equally valid to the male path. Um, and we are only now in history reaching critical enough numbers where I think we feel safe to do that. The Me Too movement was evidence of that, that we're finally big enough numbers in these spaces to to say, we don't want to be massaged at our desk. Okay. (laughs) And then with sports and sex-based differences, there's Mm -hmm. the complexity of trans athletes in sport Mm -hmm. and how currently we're in a climate where sex-based differences are the tool of oppression for people who are like... Um, fighting for anti-trans bills and trying to um, to harm trans people in general, right? And and so it's a da- it, it felt very dangerous and tricky to write about these sex-based differences in a book in this climate where I was worried it could be used as evidence to harm a community that I believe should be included. Mm-hmm. And, but then if you you if you don't acknowledge the sex-based differences, then you can't address these problems that are harming this whole other group of women, right? Mm -hmm. So like all women are 
being harmed in, and we're not all being harmed in the same way, but we, we need to be like fighting alongside all the different groups and there will be conflicting, um, conflicting rights or conflicting things and we'll need to work through them, but like not talking about them at all is, is not doing a service to anyone. Yeah. We have definitely seen how putting things in a black box and not talking about it is not really an effective coping mechanism for humans historically. Um, Okay. So we've talked a lot about NIL deals on the podcast. Again, that's name, image, and likeness that has really gotten off the ground in the past year for the NCAA. And it's, it's great, right? Like NCAA athletes are, you know, are used for their name, image, and likeness all the time without reaping any of those rewards or benefits. Um, So on one hand, like, yay, go, go young athletes on the other hand, we are, I think now really seeing how this could be very harmful as well. Most recently in the news, you had young LSU gymnast, um, uh, Livy, uh, basically get like super harassed, super harassed is like probably not the appropriate term very much like her and the other gymnasts at this meet in Utah were definitely harassed by like throngs of teenage boys who felt like they were owed something due to like knowing this person from social media. And this, this athlete happens to be one of the athletes bringing in like the most amount of NIL deals right now. And I just like, I'm watching this, like this value add to college athletes where they can now finally make money off their name, image, and likeness, but also can't help but feel that we're putting young professionals, young professional athletes into this area of being monetized, sexualized. And I, I'm just like seeing the spiral, of like how this is going to impact a lot of mental health in, in young athletes. And I'm wondering how as a society, we can find a balance of like supporting collegiate athletes without putting them in this pressure cooker of like having to be monetized to be successful. Oh, so it's, it's infuriating because yeah, it's like you say, it's complex. There's wins and there's losses in this win. And um, when I heard, I think it was Tara Vanderveer was talking about how athletes are being granted these contracts based on appearance on the female side, way more than on the male athlete side. And that that does just further compound all the shit we've been trying to dismantle. Like, it's just like, oh, here's yet another place that we can bloom this archaic thing we know hurts people and for an even younger group of people. And it feels impossible to regulate without just taking away the financial opportunities for the athletes. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't really have a good answer for it other than it's extremely discouraging because in my book, I don't talk about it, but um, all those forces that I do talk about as a professional athlete, like being sexualized and the people who get paid to continue are, are not necessarily those who are the most talented. Um, they are the ones that either have access to family money or some other resource, or they are deemed attractive by the sports marketing executives who have decided they're marketable, that that face or that body is going to sell more clothes and more shoes. And that those I. Those those ideas of what attractiveness is are inherently racist and white supremacist and ableist, and and that makes it harder to change those things, right? Because now the stars that you're showing and all the advertisements are further ingraining those ideals. Um, so it's very frustrating. So like I, I do worry about young female athletes. I worry about like the suicide rates. I worry about anxiety yeah. rates, depression. Um, when you see an athlete, any athlete who uses clearly has to use their social media to stay afloat by presenting a curated side of themselves. They're living 
you're training yourself, just like the coachability thing we talked about earlier, you're training yourself to see yourself through what it will be approved of and liked and um, have a return on investment. And that isn't necessarily in alignment with who you actually are, with staying grounded, with staying connected to your power, um, the part of you that doesn't give a fuck. Um, it's really hard not to give a fuck when you have a name, image, and likeness contract uh, or any contract that requires you have an online persona. We've talked a lot about uniforms on uh, on the podcast about how like how important it is to have inclusive uniform sizing, to have options for athletes so that athletes can feel their most comfortable when racing um, because it's definitely a distraction when you don't feel good having to be in X, Y, or Z you know, this is your uniform. You must fit into this thing. This is what you and your teammates are going to wear. And I feel like the, like the NIL deals that we're seeing, like just capitalize off of that type of momentum. And I think that that like, personally, like that seems really harmful. More than oh helpful. yeah. It's super harmful. There's a whole section in my book where I highlight like the way it feels in your body to, to try to go into a competitive environment and be which requires you to be unselfconscious mm -hmm. to take your biggest risks, right? And when you're distracted by the way your ass looks in your bun huggers or whether you, the waistband is pinching into your abs more than it did last race, and that is that hijacks your mind into a different space that is totally unnecessary. You just put on a, a loose-fitted jersey and shorts, you're not even having that conversation. Um, and that and just that we will don't give more gravity or respect to that. I, I I don't even know. I know there would be a lot of pushback if we just didn't allow crop tops and buns because we've already internalized it as the ultimate sign of professionalism for ourselves in many corners of our elite athlete world. Mm -hmm. But I would like it if we did that, frankly. Like I don't care if a lot of people get pissed <laughs> because it's like what it how are you harmed by wearing some shorts with a jersey like all our male peers like does it hurt you no but guess what it really helps a huge percentage of your community to have that be the default kit and if you really want to wear a bathing suit just get a bathing suit and go to a swimming pool like you can do that anytime you want yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to do it on a, on a race starting line. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think we're lucky in trail a little bit just because like, I don't know, like short shorts chafe and, uh, Courtney yeah. DeWalter you is need, our idol yeah. and she wears, you know, knee length shorts, which I think is amazing. Mm -hmm. So whatever makes you most comfortable is going to get you through a hundred miler. So yeah. 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 When it comes side. to weighing the practicality trail and ultra, like th those battles are going to win out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. But I think it's funny in one, in one podcast, you said that like, if buns were advantageous, you know, men would wear them. It's like, clearly they they're not. They're just something that we've pushed on women because they look attractive and like, clearly they're not helping us be better runners. If anything, to your point, they're hindering us. And like, can you imagine how fast women might run if there was no context, like other thing absorbing their mind at that start line, like that could change oh. women's sports on its own. It definitely could. I mean, the thing is, like, imagine in your sport, if some new runner came on the scene in ultra who wore a, a literal thong bikini and was like suddenly winning everything. How what kind of endorsement deals do you think this person would get? Exactly. 
a lot. We joked that Bandera, (laughs) there was a number of shirtless men at Bandera and we joked that it wasn't a good day for sports apparel brands because they weren't making a good marketing sale uh, wearing more more clothing. Um, Did not see that on the women's side of the race, but there was a lot of, there just happened to be a lot of shirtless dudes at Bandera, this um, 100K race for golden ticket to Western yeah. States that happened a couple mm. weekends ago. I have um, one, I have one more thought. Sorry, Corinne. I know you yeah, want to get okay. to something else, but on the topic of the NIL deals and kind of how they're highlighting these athletes who fit the build, like, do you think this might be a step back for the younger generation who are coming up into the realms of the sport? Because like, in my mind, I feel like we were finally highlighting more diverse athletes. And now if there's these huge companies signing athletes that fit their ideal, um, do you think that's going to help or hinder? I guess it's kind of like an obvious question, but how do you think that's going to play out in the younger athletes that are kind of coming up into the ranks now? Well, what's crazy is that if diversity and inclusion lead to sales, then these companies do do more of it. But my concern is that diversity and inclusion are a trend. They were a marketing trend for most mm-hmm. companies, or as they are like the ethos, the central core ethos of a small percentage of brands. And beyond that, it's a marketing trend. Women in general are a marketing trend. Like I looked at REI recently was like, had this whole thing about women-owned businesses and they did a big thing on women-owned, women-owned, but then now it's gone. And like, they're not paying attention to women-owned anymore. They're not, what happened to all those women-owned companies that they were like landing contracts with for those two seasons that they aren't anymore, right? So that's another version of what we're talking about with, can it cause a backtrack in the gains that we have made in the last few years. And yeah, and it will, um, unless that there continues to be market forces motivating them to choose a diverse array of bodies that versus go back in time to the 1980s. <laughs> and a lot of those decisions actually start in, they're in the C-suite. So like, are there women in the room? Are there women of color in the room? Like who's in the room de- deciding yeah, who aren't, what who aren't the is HR department, right? Like that's like, yeah. that's the most common C-suite position is like, HR. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For women. And so it's long, like we have to, in order to have NIL not set us back in time, we have to be fighting for um, representation in the C-suites and like really pushing, continuing to hammer these companies that claimed to make big commitments to diversity last year, or two years ago. And okay, show us your, show us your roster in the, in your sports marketing department. What do they look like? Mm-hmm. What are their identities? And what are your values? Who are you looking for in a, like in a whatever? And then I think roasting companies, we need to continue roasting companies who are using these NIL contracts to enforce all those stereotypes and harmful, um, like white supremacist and and um, sexist ideas. I'm going to quickly read some of your writing back to you, which I'm sure is going to be really awkward and, and super fluid. And then just kind of on this piece of advice, and this is actually from a piece that you wrote for Wazel called Dear Younger Lauren. And this paragraph really stood out to me. And it was, like it or not, Lauren, you are a woman, a strong one. Your body is at some point going to become what, what it is meant to be based on a long line of strong women who have survived generations in a tough world. For most of the time, and in most cultures, what is happening to your body would be celebrated with ceremony. Women are powerful beyond your imagination. You cannot reach your power by making yourself small. And yet in competitive running, you will find yourself in a world in which you feel pressure to do that. And kind of emblematic of that whole piece and that that paragraph in particular, I would love to kind of end today on three pieces of advice. 
And that would be advice that you would love to give to your high school self, your collegiate self, and then your professional running self. Oh, well, no I really pressure. liked that paragraph you read. So <laughs> good job me back then. Um, I don't know why I bothered writing a book. I should have just published that paragraph. It's basically what the whole book's about. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think uh, high school self, I would, I would give them dear younger me. That's mm-hmm. what I would do. I would just give them that letter. Um, and that's who I wrote it for was that audience. And then for my college self, I would say, keep calling coach along. <laughs> like you need to stay very closely connected to the voices that grounded you during those years so that it's easier to combat the, um, the other messages you're hearing now, um, which I know not everybody has a coach along, so it's not super useful advice, but, um, whatever that is to you, like, would you think about the time in your life that you listened to your body, that you, you weren't outsourcing your confidence? Like whenever that was, you gotta, you gotta re put energy into reconnecting with that person during the exact time of life that people are telling you to like mimic the best, look at who's the best and do what they're doing. You actually need to do the opposite. You need to find out, reconnect with your core uniqueness that's where your power is and fight like hell to like hang on to that. And then for my professional self, I would just like tell her not to sign with Nike (laughs) personally at that time. Like they're different now. They got a different sports marketing director. I don't know what their norms are, but that would have really changed everything for me because the high stakes nature of the contracts did not, were not built around like a peak at 27 and 28 that put massive pressure on becoming the best in the world as quickly as possible before my body was physiologically ready to do that. And like trying to force my body to lean out, to look like 30 year old professional women when my estrogen levels are still like optimizing peak fertility as a, as a, as a 21 year old. Right. So I would, I would just tell her like, Hey, you got to sign with somebody who understands female physiology. Your peak is later and longer than your male peers. And you got to play the long game. Okay. So off, off air, off the mic, before we hit record today, we all said, you know, wow, like Lauren Fleshman is absolutely incredible. And there were so many gems throughout that entire interview while it was happening. Keely and I were trying to take notes, but it was so hard to like, you were so just like consumed by everything she was saying that like, you couldn't process anything else in the moment, including like coming up with the next question, because it was you just kind of taken aback by what she was talking about. And so Hillary, you were not there, but you've gotten to listen into the interview. And I'm wondering what, what like kind of hit home with you, what stood out the most? One of the big things that stood out to me was this idea. You kind of discussed it, like in one of your questions, Corinne, of this hurdle that, that women have to kind of overcome. And it starts at a very young age. And it was, you were kind of phrasing the question as in your own athletic history of this idea of being coachable and compliant because you're almost like rewarded. Um, you are wom- you're totally rewarded. Right? Yeah. It's like a woman in general. I think, you know, people are saying, Oh, well, they're not very coachable. That can be a female or male, but I think there's a lot of maybe more pressure to be coachable and very compliant and very just, okay. Like you, you say this, I will follow suit, like from what a coach instructs you to do. And I think, yes, that's great from a certain standpoint, um, to trust your coach and follow their workouts, but like learning to be able to push back a little bit and say, Hey, actually I'm feeling this way. 
can we do something different? Like learning that confidence to almost stand up for yourself. This is like a way where you can actually become more in tune with your body. And you can actually, it's a way in which you can reach, I think, your own, your, your true potential. Um, and I think it's like a balance of being able to listen to your coach, but also having um, the confidence to be able to push back a little bit. And I think that takes, um, I mean, she talked about this in the interview too. It takes like very special combination. Um, but it also just kind of goes into even outside of sport where, where women are told to be, <laughs> to not be too loud or too, you know, off, off the beaten path or like stray from the norm to not be bossy, to not be, you know, you name it. Um, and it's not just women. She talks about it in other avenues as well. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting because yeah, I mean, it's something that I've, I've, had experience with this as well. Just like where, how do I find my own voice? And, um, I've had to learn that as an, as an adult through my own athletic endeavors, but it was really interesting. She's Lauren's trying to, you know, help younger athletes and younger women find that voice, um, sooner. Yeah. And what I thought was interesting too, is that, you know, think like reflecting on, on being coached, but also coaching athletes, like it's, it's really easy. Like how, like how can a coach, or an adult better, better allow for self-advocacy, right? I think is part of that question. Like, you know, like an athlete asking you a question about why they're doing what they're doing, isn't to shut them down. Like, isn't, isn't to question your authority, you know, like it's, it's this balance point. And I think it's really, it's an interesting reflection, both like for a young athlete and for, for an adult, but also for the people who are responsible for younger athletes who might, be leaning in or trapped in that like compliance coachability model. Like to me, it's like, it's a good reflection point as like a future parent, as a, as a coach of adults mm -hmm. and, and youth athletes, like how, like recognizing that that's there and that the power dynamic exists and being part of that change of allowing athletes to have a voice, to listen to their body, to ask questions, because I think that's like, it has to come from both sides a little bit, I think. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you like apply this to the younger population, like then it's a really slippery slope to your point, Corinne, because we're trying to give, you know, 14, 15, 16 year olds the confidence to have a voice against a coach that, you know, clearly is the upper hand of that relationship and has all the power. And so it's a really tricky dynamic because I, I don't see that changing overnight. And so then it just brings back the question of like, okay, well, then how can we inform coaches on how to better coach girls between the ages of 13 and 17, because they're not all of a sudden be able, going to be able to become advocates for themselves. But it's like, can we make the coach more knowledgeable? Can we make their parents more knowledgeable? So we have this team of advocates for that one athlete. Um, because like, I think back to my sister and she was like this phenomenal runner and went through puberty before her senior year. And then, you know, had a little bit of trouble running the same speeds as the year before. And all her coaches were doing, were telling her she was slow and that she needed to get faster. And they couldn't understand why. And like, at the time I had no clue what was going on. Cause I was like in college, like, you know, I couldn't be bothered to like really think about it in deep detail because I didn't know about these things at the time. But now I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm sorry for that. Because that was just like ignorance on the behalf of the coaches on everyone who was on your side. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know how to help you. Um, and clearly she didn't know how to advocate for herself either. Cause she didn't know what was going on. So it's like, yeah, there's a, it's a bigger picture in that regard. Yeah. And again, like, I think I said this in the, in the interview to talking about how, like, I've, I've worked with high school, high schoolers who are really good self-advocates, like in the classroom. And then I've worked with athletes, like adult athletes are predominantly who I coach who like can't self-advocate for themselves. 
And I'm like, I've got 14 year olds that can do this. Like what, like this society has, has brought you to this place where like, if, if someone is the boss, there's no room for like conversation. And that's like the first thing I'll tell athletes that I'm starting to work with is like, I'm not, I'm not a mind reader. Like I'm pretty good at this, but I definitely can't read minds. I need you to tell me what you need. I need you to want to ask questions. And it's like, I'm going to push and I'm going to prompt, but it's like, it's once again, it's the, like the things that are instilled in 13, 15, 17 year olds. Like I see instilled in 30, 40, 50 year olds, like and particularly women. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah. it, it goes, it's full circle, right? Like it's these mm-hmm. things, the cycle has to be broken somewhere. Right. And maybe like the people that we coach, like the people getting into trail, right. That are mm-hmm. a little bit older, that kind of had that same, you know, background in, in coaching that Lauren did that, you know, all of us did to maybe some extent they could benefit from reading her book and maybe trying to question that in their own, you know, athletic journey now. Yeah. As I said, raise defiant daughters or difficult <laughs> daughters. I'm not sure if it was defiant or difficult, mm-hmm. but either way. Raise, raise some dif- difficult, defiant daughters, I think. Keely, what stood out to you besides everything? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I just think that the discussion with Lauren about body image and how, you know, in her in her book and in other interviews, she talks a lot about how girls are kind of forced to wear these uniforms that if you're not dealing with your own body image issues very well, like are going to give you so much stress at the start line because they're very revealing. Like the uniforms you have to wear to run cross country or track and field in college typically are showing your midriff and are typically the bottom is typically like a swimsuit bottom. Right. And it's like, if you're not super confident in yourself or you're just like right on the edge of like, Oh my gosh, if I could look a little bit better in this, then I could run faster. Or you feel a little self-conscious in there. I had this aha moment where I was like, oh my goodness, that is so much stress before an already stressful event. Like when you're running something like the 5,000 meter or the 1500, you're pushing your body to its extreme. And if you're already starting at an elevated stress level state, because you're really self-conscious or even in the slightest, like I can only imagine how negatively that would impact your performance and how if we can change that, where maybe you don't have to wear those things and you can wear whatever the heck makes you feel comfortable. Like maybe that's just changing the whole playing field. Maybe there's going to be girls who are just throwing some of these times out of the water because they're now all of a sudden so free. And that, that was kind of like an aha moment for me in the conversation with Lauren. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness, we haven't even started to tap the potential of female athletes Mm -hmm. because we put like, there's these odd Mm -hmm. barriers up there as, as far as like, just, yeah, not, not putting athletes in the best place possible to to run their absolute best. Yeah. And I think it was so funny because Lauren, I forget if she said it to us or in some other podcast, but she basically said, you know, if this was performance enhancing and advantageous, like men would be running around in little speedos as well, but they're not. They're <laughs> not. So, no, I think, like, I think we, we touched on this. I think you, I think you brought this up, but yeah. Yeah. Men, men aren't running around in speedos. That's Corey Woltering. Corey, we see oh, you. Okay, that's True. True. We see you. Yeah. That's really cool. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And re- related to all that too, it's like something that she said in that same exact vein, Keely, is that, um, it's all a distraction from your superpower. It's all a distraction from if, if you're thinking about, oh, like I could, if I, if you're thinking about weighing something or looking something different, then that's distracting you from your performance. It's distracting you and it's costing energy and that's all related to it. Right. And if you can kind of get out of that mindset, um, she even spoke of like that. She was like, oh, I'll never do that. But then she kind of got caught in the same trap. Um, 
Yeah. So I think it's something that's really hard to do, but yeah, it can be so freeing and liberating. And then you can actually really concentrate on what's important. And that's trying to get the most out of yourself in a, in a performance. Yeah. And then I think what stood out to me, and this is just like the inner, the inner nerd in me, I think it's something that I've thought about for a long time is like the, the fight for gender equality has now also led to this, like, we actually had to change that on its head and be like, well, but we are different. Like it was like this fight to be like, we're the same. Let us compete. Our uteruses aren't going to fall out. We can run marathons. And then it's like, but we're biologically, biologically complex and we don't want you to shrink and pink everything. And we have different needs, which is also valid. Like all these things are valid, right? Like we, we, we deserve the same rights. There's some um, thing going around on Instagram right now. And it was like, why are divorce rates so high? And it's like, since 1980, it's like, cause women can own their own checkbooks now. It's like, it's because we've advanced. So it's like, yes, we are equals, but at the same time, recognizing that we're biologically complex and diverse. And she pointed out that the difference has been the tool of the oppressor. And so we had to fight for equality so that we weren't oppressed, right? We could, we can own land, we can vote, we can be independent people. The same thing has happened to, um, you know, brown and black populations for forever as well. And then now, she, you know, she spoke really eloquently to her concern of like being really thoughtful of how she talked about these biological differences because she doesn't want mm. that difference to be the tool of oppression when it comes to non-binary athletes mm. and to trans athlete inclusion, because like we need to respect these differences and acknowledge these differences, but also not exclude really important voices in the space and I loved how beautifully she talked about like how her own views of inclusion have, have changed dramatically over, over her career. And now, and now, you know, kind of post her professional running career. And I just thought it was really beautiful. And it, it like stirred up all of my, my inner nerddom of, of wanting to express these biological differences, but also understanding like how difference can be the tool of oppression and being, being acutely aware of that. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Lauren Fleshman. I know I sure as heck did. I think that was the most nervous I've ever been to interview anyone in my entire life. And then she made it really easy. Hopefully Keely <laughs> agrees with me on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. We're, we're, we're gonna, we've got some good ideas in the, in the old, uh, the percolator, which is a coffee term, I guess now actually, um, for interviews coming down the pipeline stay tuned for those. But, um, before we wrap up today, we've got to go to society slam a fan favorite. And after the episode where we talked a lot about cold weather running and kind of surviving winter in a way, we actually got a lot of really great DMS, um, and input from you, the audience, some questions, concerns, uh, clarification points and, or really good tips and tricks. And, um, maybe we've got some adjacent society slam of that today, Keely, Hillary, what do you have? Keely, you want to go first? I had a question come through, um, who it's going to be a question kind of for you, Corinne, but I'm sure Hillary has some insight as well. Um, do you have any thoughts or warnings about what happens during pre like the stages pre hypothermia Mm. when you're running or out outside for a while? I mean, I think, I think this to me harkens back to just like being really cognizant of temperature regulation. I think on most runs, you're not really going to have to worry. But if you're going for a long run where the weather might be really variable, like this is where talking about bringing like safety gear is important, right? Like, do you have a dry, warm layer? Do you have dry gloves? Do you have enough supplies with you in case you, in case you encountered really slow terrain, like on most, on most average trail runs, um, 
which encompasses quite a lot of distances and and, and weather and such. Um, I think you're you're like I, I don't worry about hypothermia. I do worry about getting caught out without proper gear. So that might mean maybe you roll your ankle and you really can't walk it in very fast, right? And you're getting really really cold. So making sure you have kind of maybe that's that space blanket in your pack, that dry that extra dry layer, et cetera. I think those things are really important to remember to carry and then also be adaptable. Like I I think some of the most dangerous conditions are actually like. 35, 36 degrees Fahrenheit, but raining because water cools you down really, really quickly. And so I've done runs on the North shore of Vancouver. Like I had to do a four hour run in in that weather. It was like 34 degrees Fahrenheit and raining, Mm. like the worst possible conditions. Mm -hmm. And I, so what I did is I did two, two hour out and backs. So I ran away from my car for an hour and turned around and ran back. When I ran back, I changed all of my like layers on my core. So I changed into a dry sports bra, a dry shirt, a dry jacket and dry gloves. And then I headed two hours in the opposite direction and came back. And when I came back, I was so cold that I had to have a stranger in the parking lot, help me take my shirt off. Um, (laughs) nice lady. I've had so many of those runs. (laughs) But that being said, like, oh, I've had to have people like help get PDs, like harness unclipped before because my hands like aren't working. So it's like, be, be creative, be thoughtful, be smart, be safe. And I think for the most part, I'm not worried about like some, like something sneaking up on you in the sense of like, well, what's an early warning sign for hypothermia? I'm more like, are you preventing a disaster by like having, having the necessary stuff with you for the run that you're headed out on? Cause that's where people get into trouble is like mm-hmm. you or your friend rolls their ankle really badly and you're six miles from the car and it's wet and cold like someone's not going to have a good time. So, and that's Mm -hmm. when, you know, search and rescue has to get involved in these kinds of things. So do yourself a favor, carry, carry a little extra. Hillary, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Just like, uh, I like the creativity of like doing the, the double out and backs. Um, I also think it's just being, um, being like cognizant and like hyper aware, like for instance, the other day I went skiing and I'm not used to it. Like it, kind of cuts out my circulation or just not as my toes aren't moving as much as like when I'm trail running and specifically talking about skate skiing. Um, and so I just kind of recognize that my toes, like one of them in particular, just wasn't like that warm. And so I kind of cut the ski short because it was just, it was just getting kind of painful. And I know like that, the more that I would ignore that, like that's more likely to happen next time. So I think just being flexible with that and then just appropriate layering, right? Um, <laughs> like heated socks, like no shame. Um, yeah, or or ski boots, just like like cycling shoes, you can have boot covers. And over I, like, boots. like yeah. over boots are a big mm-hmm. deal. We don't have that in running, but um, <laughs> they go a long way. Nordic skiing, mm-hmm. out on the road bike or mountain bike when it's cold. Right. Like, yeah. yeah, and it's protecting um, just in different sports like we mentioned different winter sports yes for for running like if you're changing directions and going downhill there's more you're faster there's more if there's wind like that's kind of the exposure piece of being in the mountains like that can sap your energy and your heat away from you fairly quickly so having the appropriate layers to protect from that I think is really is really helpful I concur (laughs) Keely anything you want to add to that any tips tricks Mm. No, I agree with you. It's just get the clothes off so quickly. And I guess also like maybe listen to your instinct a little bit. And if you're heading out and it feels like unusually calm and you're living in the Pacific Northwest in the winter, like (laughs) still pack an extra jacket. (laughs) 
Yeah, if you're out like, for a long run. Yeah, right? I've gotten caught in something where it's been like unusually warm and calm for like two hours. And then it just turns to like 30 and torrential downpour. And I was wearing like a sports bra and shorts at the time because it was so weird. And I feel like looking back, it's like, yo, an extra jacket in the pack or whatever would have taken no extra space. But I also, I couldn't get undressed at the end. And so I was just useless sitting in my car, like almost crying. Like, what do I do? Yeah. Uh, so Sports are fun, guys. Sports <laughs> are fun. Hillary, what did, what did you have from, from yeah, the society? Yeah. So- it was basically just uh, like Corinne, you mentioned this uh, kind of off off the record um, before we started recording that you got a lot of like just DMs and like interaction from that from the post and um, from from this episode, um, our last episode, and I did too. So basically, just a lot of it was a kind of almost like a lot of guesses, like oh, what's too cold to run in, and then people say like negative twenty Fahrenheit, and I'm like. Okay. But, you know, like, and then quite surprised when they went and listened to the episode, like I had several people message me, like, I had no idea, like, Mm -hmm. and, you know, almost like, you know, a badge of honor and trying like encouraged to be more flexible and just really educational, I think, and surprised and, and grateful. I think actually Adam listened to the episode, um, or he at least saw the title of it. And he was sending me, um, a link to, warm socks, warming socks and, <laughs> and actually ski, ski boot covers. <laughs> um, That's a good coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that, um, I've, I heard from a number of people who were, you know, like, Oh, I think like, you know, the docs were not sure if this is exercise induced asthma or bronchioconstriction, but like, this sounds really familiar. I've definitely experienced this, or I used to think it was like made me tougher to run in these conditions. And I realize now that like, that's mostly like psychological. And I was like, yeah, like, would you run in the smoke? Like, mm. these are questions we have to ask ourselves, like, what's the benefit here of doing this? And how do we modify to protect our longevity in the sport to, to be careful of our health, et cetera. We, I got some like really creative recommendations, including essentially someone who's like cut up, um, a space blanket into smaller pieces and they'll actually like wrap their soft flasks in mm. a little bit of, of, of like that. They'll like, they'll head out with warm fluid. And they like wrap their soft flask in that and put it into their pack. So it's got a little bit of insulation. So that that was really clever. Um, lots of people were very into like having warm liquids on them, like on skis and rides and, and runs. So you guys overwhelmingly did really good. Um, I think I also got, or I had one, one funny chat about wind briefs, ladies, you don't need wind briefs, the men out there. If you ever, ever, if you've ever needed a wind brief, you know, it, um, it's something that cross country ski skiers use a whole lot, but it's, uh, it's nice to have a little extra wind paneling in your pants when it's really, really cold. Let's put it that way. So, um, <laughs> had some, had some good, good back and forth about wind briefs as well due to this episode. So thank you all for reaching out with your ideas. We'd love to hear what really stood out to you from Lauren's interview, what, what hit home, what, what touched you, what, what made you think differently about something. So, um, slide into our DMS, our individual DMS or the new at trail.society DMS. Um, we'll link to that in the show notes, but until next time, we'll see you out on the trails.